This is the Eye on New York podcast. I'm Robert Harding. Today's guest will be Congressman John Katko, who represents the 24th Congressional District here in New York. Congressman Katko joined me to discuss the federal response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, He also talked about uh, some of the early lessons uh, in all of this and uh, looking at this from from his perspective as a member of Congress, of course, uh, how it's changed his day-to-day schedule uh, because for the most part uh, he's been working remotely uh, as have other members of Congress through this. Uh, There have been very few votes over the last couple of months uh, because of the pandemic Uh, and so he has spent most of his time uh, here in central New York uh, holding virtual meetings. Uh, He's held some uh, virtual press briefings uh, with myself and other journalists uh, here in the region uh, but it's certainly a change for uh, a member of Congress because they they usually have uh, and you know they've been staying busy to to some degree, but uh, uh, certainly they're used to keeping uh, busy schedules where uh, there's a lot of movement involved. Uh, certainly, if they're in the district, uh, they're holding meetings at their office or visiting businesses or attending different events. Uh, if they're down in D.C. You know, you're going to vote, you're attending committee meetings, you have meetings at your D.C. office. Uh, so this has been quite a, a shift for them. And so I talked to Congressman Kako about that as well. That interview is coming up later in the podcast. Uh, first, though, I wanted to share a personal story uh, about how this uh, pandemic, uh, not only from the public health standpoint, but of course the economic uh, crisis that... Uh, that has come of this, uh, how that's uh, uh, affected, you know, that, that's affected a lot of us, including myself. And so the personal story really focuses on what uh, uh, what I'll be doing tomorrow or what I won't be doing tomorrow in this case. Um, uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, uh, is the first uh, furlough day uh, that I will be taking. Uh, it sounds a little bit odd because when you think of furloughs, you think of you know, a week at a time or, you know, an extended period. But, um, you know, to take a step back, uh, Lee Enterprises, which owns The Citizen, the paper I work for, and a couple other papers in New York, The Buffalo News and The Post Starring Wentz Falls, uh, they they own now dozens of newspapers across the country. But um, the company notified us in early April uh, that uh, because of the economic downturn, we would need to uh, take uh, uh, two weeks uh, of furloughs uh, between early April and the end of June. So within that, uh, for us, it's the third fiscal quarter. And, um, you know, that uh, that certainly was a wake-up call for me. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly was aware of how uh, the economics uh, of all this were being affected, uh, you know, hearing about the unemployment claims and how some businesses were responding uh, to this and, and how they were being affected by the pandemic. But uh, you just didn't know how this would hit home, and, and this is how it hit home for me. Uh, and it hit my home in particular in an additional way because my wife is also employed at The Citizen. So uh, for for everyone who works there, you know, they're affected in different ways. But for us, it's kind of a double, double whammy uh, because uh, she had to take uh, uh, two weeks of furloughs as well. And uh, fortunately, the, you know, the, I look at it as a silver lining in all of this is that I didn't have to take uh, a period of time off. I could split it up into individual days. Uh, and so that's what I will be doing with this is to uh, break it up uh, uh, over the course of really five weeks, uh, four in May and then one at the end of June uh, to take two days off each of those weeks uh, so that I can fulfill my furlough commitment, uh, if you will. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's challenging uh, because of the times that we're in. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stories to cover. Uh, as I record this podcast, I'm uh, preparing uh, a few stories uh, for our website, AuburnPub.com, and uh, 
and the Citizens print edition, and uh, it's uh, it's hard to think about, you know, not being able to work uh, on uh, any given day, you know, especially when it's something that uh, I have no control over. You know, it's one thing to take a day off for, uh, you know, vacation day, taking a personal day, you're taking a trip, or, you know, you're, you have plans of some sort uh, to just take a day um, uh, that, you know, is involuntary in a way, um, because, you know, I'm told that I have to take it unpaid, uh, and I can't do any work, uh, because those are the rules, uh, it's going to be different, uh, especially when I'm ready, willing, and able to work, uh, and that's the frustrating part. So, um, uh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on these furlough days. Uh, next week, uh, when I do take the, the furlough days, they're actually on Tuesday and Thursday, the days when the, the podcast drops, uh, I'll still have podcasts those days. It's just uh, I'm going to have to be more um, uh, more prepared for those days and make sure that I, I post in advance because I won't be able to do any sort of uh, work-related activities on those days, um, uh, which is a bit frustrating. But, you know, I, I, the reason I'm mentioning this isn't just to highlight how it's affected me, but you know, why it's important to support local news. And, you know, one of the challenges through all this, uh, you know, looking at it from our business perspective, is that uh, we've had such a high uh, focus on advertising over the years. And advertising's tough, especially in the age of the internet, in the age of social media, when so many people think that they can promote on their own and don't need to turn to a newspaper or even a radio station, TV station, whatever, uh, to promote an event or to promote a sale that they have. Uh, and, you know, you can make some arguments about that, but uh, those are the that's the reality of uh, the world we live in, is that uh, uh, these different platforms have presented challenges from an advertising perspective. Uh, something that we can control, though, is trying to boost our subscription base, uh, which is something that, at The Citizen anyway, we've been successful with uh, to some degree. Uh, certainly compared to other newspapers in our company, uh, we've done uh, far better uh, in getting more people to subscribe. Uh, but it's a constant battle uh, because you still have some people who look at news that's provided online and believe that it should be free. Uh, and to that point, I just want to mention that I do not work for free. Uh, that work uh, that, you know, certain readers, uh, they complain about surveys, because uh, we have Google surveys on some stories if you're not logged in or if you're not a paying subscriber. Uh, you know, they, they complain about that. They complain about paywalls. And, you know, I... I to that I say, well, tell me where you work, and I'm going to come in and demand whatever you offer is free to me. Uh, and of course, that, that sounds ridiculous, right? And it should sound ridiculous whenever anybody says that about news, because we don't work for free. Uh, the, it might take you two minutes to read a story, but I guarantee you it takes a, a much longer period than that to write that story, to research for that story. Uh, there's a story that I uh, recently wrote for The Citizen, uh, and it was actually a non-COVID story. It was about uh, uh, Dana Balter, a Democratic congressional candidate, uh, accepting a salary from her campaign. And uh, there's a whole Federal Election Commission rule about this, and so I did... Um, uh, you know, I did a lot of research for that story, and it was a 1,700-word story, I believe. So that takes a long time to write. Uh, it certainly didn't take the six minutes uh, it takes to read, uh, at least according to the calculation that's posted on our website whenever we uh, publish uh, longer stories. Uh, so, you know, to the people who make the argument that our content should be free, I say, you know, nothing uh, that takes that much work should be free. Uh, and, you know, we don't work for free. We are paid by, 
by our company uh, and to, to continue being paid by our company, uh, we need to avoid situations like this where journalists like myself, in the midst of one of the biggest stories of our lifetimes, uh, can't work. And uh, quite frankly, to the people who say that we should work for free uh, and, um, you know, that that news on websites should be free, I say stop reading. Go to Facebook, your preferred source of news, and see how that works out for you. See what local news you can get from Facebook. That isn't the rumor mill that is Facebook. I'm talking about actual uh, substantive stories, whether it's an investigative story or a spot news story about uh, so something that occurred, or in in case you haven't seen, uh, there have been countless stories written about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected our community. And, uh, you know, I, I think those stories alone show you why paying for news uh, is important. Uh, because that public service that we perform uh, keeps people informed and, um, uh, you know, uh, allows people to uh, learn something about what's happening. Uh, in some cases, it's you know something as simple as listing uh, the places where food is available. You know, different restaurants are uh, uh, doing carry out and delivery service uh, to some things that are you know in terms of hard news. Uh, you're digging into testing data or uh, how many COVID nineteen cases are in the county and why that information is or isn't being released. Uh, I wrote a story on that recently uh, that took some time to write. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, whenever you're accessing a website and frustrated by a paywall, and uh, you know I, I, I even know smart people who read a lot of different websites and they complain that, uh, that they can't access a story uh, because apparently they've read too many stories on that website in a given month, and uh, they're frustrated that uh, they, they don't want to pay for it. Uh, if you're reading a website that often, maybe you should pay for it. Maybe it's worth your time to pay for it. And I'll remind people that uh, Netflix costs more than a digital subscription to uh, The Citizen, to AuburnPub.com, our website. Uh, you, your cable bill in a month uh, if you're if you're like me, I have a uh, a limited cable TV subscription. It's part of their kind of semi a la carte option through Spectrum, and then I have internet service uh, through Spectrum. You put those th two things together, and I'm paying about $120 a month for cable TV and internet service. Uh, and that, uh, if you <laughs> if you do the math, that's equal to a year. So I'm paying $120 a month for cable and internet. That that's equal to a year of getting AuburnPub.com, a subscription to AuburnPub.com. And uh, you know what's uh, you know what's uh, uh, what's more worthwhile to you? I guess uh, you know it just to me. Uh, you know, I've heard so many of these complaints over the years and people saying that it should be free and people chiding us on Facebook because they can't read a story. It's not our problem. Uh, we do not work for free. Uh, you know, people, I think, because of what happened in the 2000s and even into the late 90s, you know, these news websites uh, really started a bad trend by uh, thinking that posting their stories online for free uh, was the right way to go. It's actually uh, part of uh, two mistakes that the news business made uh, before I even got into the news business. Uh, you know, the first was uh, some news outlets uh, resisted going online, uh, which was a bad idea. But then the ones that did uh, committed another error by not charging for that, even though they were charging an amount to pick up a paper, you know, the same news uh, they were charging for at the newsstands they weren't charging for online, which was a total mistake. So now we've been making up for that, and uh, in some ways it's gotten better. 
Uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's a lot more people that are subscribing to AuburnPub.com, and I certainly appreciate that. You know, there are some people who have told me over the years that they've changed their minds. They, they initially thought that this notion of paying for news was such a terrible thing, and, you know, they resisted it, but then they realized how much they use the website and decided that it was worthwhile to pay for. Uh, and so far, uh, you know, knock on wood, uh, they have not um, changed their minds. They, they still feel that way, that it's uh, an important service we perform uh, and it's worth paying for. Uh, but, you know, you got to put these things in perspective whenever you see on a website. And, and look, you know, we, we charge for our news. I know that there are people who argue, well, I can get the same news on, you know, one of the Syracuse TV stations. Uh, you can't, Okay. Uh, they aren't covering this community like we do. They might have an occasional story about some big event that happened. I know that there was recently uh, some furloughs announced uh, from the county government, uh, and one of the TV news stations was there uh, to cover that. Uh, that's a rarity. Uh, you know, rarely do they show up to cover a county meeting. Uh, we're there uh, when we can be, uh, and this time we're covering it. Uh, remotely as everyone else is, but, um, uh, you know, in, in those situations, we're there uh, for every meeting, and we're there for committee meetings as well. And remember, we have a small staff, uh, which is why these furloughs hurt, uh, because we are covering, again, one of the biggest stories of our lifetimes, and, um, you know, we... We at The Citizen have nine employees in our newsroom right now. You know, we have four editors. Uh, there's me. You know, I kind of wear multiple hats. Uh, there's uh, two news reporters, a sports reporter, and a photographer. Uh, so we're all pulling our weight uh, as much as we can. Uh, and, you know, then we have to uh, factor in these furloughs. And this month... Uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, is going to be a challenging month for us because of those furloughs. Uh, you know, without revealing too much more about the schedule, you know, these furloughs were announced in April, and I think there was, uh, for for a lot of people, there was, you know, some hesitance to take time off uh, that early in the quarter, in the, in the fiscal quarter, because we didn't know what was going to come of this uh uh, of this pandemic and how it would affect the county. I know that I was in that position. I didn't want to take furloughs right away because I knew that it would be busy. And I had already been writing a lot uh, in the days leading up to that announcement, uh, really the weeks leading up to that announcement. Uh, so, you know, in my view, it was uh, right to wait until uh, initially I had planned um, to take my uh, uh, to take my furlough days, take a couple of furlough days at the end of April, uh, take most of them in May, and then uh, I'd always planned on after the primary elections in June, I would take a couple days. Uh, but I decided to move it around, uh, and uh, so what ends up happening is that my furloughs, I'll, I'll be taking two furlough days each week in May, each of the full weeks in May. So uh, that's eight days out of the next uh, 20, uh, you know, work days, uh, which is, uh, you know, not ideal. Uh, I would rather be working, uh, as I said. So, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a challenging month. Uh, we'll get through it. Uh, I, I'm pessimistic about what the last quarter of the year is going to look like. I... I wouldn't be surprised if we have to take furloughs again. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we have to take more of them. Uh, you know, instead of two weeks, maybe it's three. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the decision is going to be about that, but I, I imagine that's coming just because, you know, even though uh, some states are opening up, uh, the the economic uh, malaise, shall we say, uh, isn't going to go away anytime soon. Uh, and I think you're going to see, you know, some hesitance from a lot of businesses to get back to advertising. Um, will we get enough people to subscribe? Uh, that's, 
that's a bit of a wild card because you're talking about uh, a whole company with 80 some newspapers and you know what we do can help the cause but there are bigger newspapers in our company and so what are they going to do uh, to kind of live up to this uh, uh, to to meet that goal uh, so uh, a lot of challenges but um, I uh, you know I, I am thankful that I still have a job I'm thankful that the citizen is still around uh, and you know we're, we're trying to make do uh, with what we have and um, you know for me uh, it is going to be difficult uh, to be on the bench. Uh, well, not even in the bench. I'll, I'll be in the locker room, so to speak. Uh, I won't even be able to participate in any way uh, on those days. You know, I won't be able to check my email. won't be able to write stories. Uh, I, I hope nothing big happens uh, while, while I'm out those, those days uh, because we do have a, a slim staff and, you know, not everybody's eyes can be everywhere at the same time. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's going to be challenging, but, uh, you know, I'll be glad when, it, when this month's over, <laughs> uh, it just started and, and I'm already saying that, uh, which, you know, isn't great, but, um, you know, I'll keep the podcast going. I'll write when I can, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll try to make the most uh, out of this and still produce, uh, uh, some good stories. Um, I'm, actually working on uh, some some good ones I think that'll be helpful to people to better understand uh, the pandemic and you know economic reopenings and even getting into the politics because I'm I am looking ahead to uh, the uh, uh, the elections next month uh, there are still two primary elections to cover uh, here in my in my coverage uh, uh, area so to speak um, the 24th Congressional District Democratic primary, of course, and then uh, the Republican primary in the 126th Assembly District. Uh, so working on some stories about uh, about those two races. But, uh, but you know, uh, keep calm and carry on, and, and we'll, uh, you know, keep the podcast going. You know, we'll keep writing, and, uh, uh, you know, June will be a busy month. Uh, I, I did mention, you know, I'm taking some furlough days at the end of that month to meet my obligation, uh, just under the, uh, just under the wire. Um, cause I, I do have to take those by the end of June. So those last two days, uh, I'll, uh, I'm taking them in the last two days really of the quarter. Um, so, uh, so that'll be, that'll be that, but, uh, a lot to cover and a short time to do it in, and we'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully it will look like I, I wasn't off at all, uh, which is what the goal is. Um, uh, it's going to be frustrating, though, I, I do admit. <laughs> it's not something I want to do, but, uh, uh, you know, you can do your part. Uh, if, if you have the means and you have a business, uh, advertise with us, uh, and, and something that, I do want to say is that uh, for those of you who listen to this podcast and you might work with candidates, uh, you might be a campaign manager or a candidate yourself uh, or a party leader or you know, party consultant, whatever your title is, one thing I would advise you to do is instead of using these outside uh, agencies, and um, that, that tend to advertise through, you know, more that, they, you know, you see these targeted ads on websites and you can tell that they're targeted and usually they're done through, you know, some sort of ad agency or like Google ads or something like that. Advertise directly with the media outlets in your district. Don't go through a third party that, because that doesn't really benefit us. Uh, and... If you support candidates who are preaching, you know, uh, their support for small businesses, uh, then they shouldn't be hypocrites and going to these outside entities and, adver you know, using them and paying lots of money to, to use them. And then your ads end up on our website through said third party, and we aren't really reaping 
we aren't really getting any sort of benefit from that. Uh, there's limited benefits for us, but most of the benefits go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, that's why I say you should be advertising directly with the media outlets. In our case, you know, we have the Citizen, we have a print edition. If you want print ads, that's great. But we also have a website that's getting a lot of traffic. And uh, especially now, we've set digital traffic records uh, two months in a row now. Uh, the most traffic we've seen in a two-month period ever, by far. Uh, totally blew out of the water our previous records, and uh, uh, both in terms of page views and users uh, and you know, all of these important metrics. Uh, advertise directly with with those outlets. And I'm not, I'm not even just limited to AuburnPub.com. I'm saying, you know, Syracuse.com and, you know, the TV stations and the radio stations uh, because we could use that money and advertising directly with us ensures that uh, that money's getting to those outlets. Uh, I think, you know, if you're a candidate and you're leaning on Albany or Washington to tell you how to direct your advertising and a lot of that money's going somewhere outside of the district, you shouldn't even bother running for office, quite frankly, uh, because it shows that you know, you're not practicing what you preach and supporting uh, small businesses and uh, you know, advertising directly with uh, the news outlets helps ensure that money stays in your districts, uh, which is something important. You know? So again, practice what you preach, Support the local businesses, support your local newspaper, support your local TV station, support your local uh, radio station. Do all of these things and uh, don't use these outside firms. It might take more time, uh, might take a little more energy, but you know what? It takes a lot of time and energy for us to do our jobs too. So quit spending, and I, I know... I cover campaign finance uh, as part of this job. I know where the ad dollars are going, and I know how it's directed, and we don't see that benefit. I've talked to the ad managers, past and present, about this before, and those ads coming in, and you know, there do we get some of that? Sure, but certainly not as much as we would get if uh, if it was directly with us, uh, which is really where it makes a difference. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the weeds of that process, but uh, it would be nice to see uh, if, uh, if uh, we started to see some of these candidates that spend tons of money uh, every year on advertising spend it directly with the media outlets uh, in their district. Um, certainly... I know, I don't think the TV stations will complain so much because they, uh, because that, you know, they certainly benefit from that. It's more, you know, the digital advertising that you see that uh, uh, on websites that, you know, it's not direct, often it's not directly with those news outlets and especially newspaper websites. Uh, it's done separately. We don't get... Uh, uh, a lot of those benefits, uh, we get you know a fraction of that money, uh, and uh, like I said, tough to say you're the small business candidate or supporting businesses in your district uh, when you're supporting businesses outside of your district and paying them lots of money uh, to give us the crumbs. Uh, so think about that when you're advertising for the 2020 election, uh, and then in addition. Uh, subscriptions matter, and if you're a reader uh, of news, a consumer of news, uh, you know obviously AuburnPub.com, Syracuse.com, all of these newspaper websites. We could use your support right now, and uh, chipping in. Uh, you know, a lot of us have promotions going right now. AuburnPub.com, you can get three months for three bucks. Uh, which is an insane offer. Uh, after that, it's nine ninety five a month, which is an insane offer still. Uh, it's a huge discount. If you were to buy the print edition, if you were to get a print uh, subscription to the Citizen, it would cost you much, much more than that to get that to get that same news. Uh, so ten dollars a month ain't so bad. Uh, so advertise with us. 
subscribe with us and help us uh, keep this going uh, in the months and hopefully years to come. Uh, so with that, I'll get to the interview with Congressman John Kako. Again, talked about the COVID-19 pandemic, talked about uh, some of the early lessons uh, with this uh, public health crisis and uh, working remotely as a member of Congress. So here's that interview with Congressman Katko. Here with Congressman John Katko, representing the 24th Congressional District. Congressman, thanks for joining me. Uh, happy to be here. So I, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, in terms of central New York and, and how the federal response to the COVID pandemic has gone. Uh, I know that there have been uh, some bills passed, obviously, but, but how do you think that process has gone in terms of helping uh, central New York uh, deal with this pandemic? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, it's gone in stages, as, as the whole thing has. But one of the th overarching takeaways I have so far is that uh, it's been a highly bipartisan effort, which is uh, uh, music by ears. And I think we looked at uh, several different things. One is we looked at hospitals, especially uh, smaller hospitals like the rural ones like uh, Auburn, is uh, of great concern to us because they were in great financial shape before this started. And then you tell them, take away your financial backbone and uh, don't do elective surgeries anymore uh, and keep your beds open in case there's a surge and stand tight. Well, they, they, there's no way they can financially sustain that. So we knew we had to help them and help them in a big way, and we've done that. We also know that uh, uh, small businesses are the backbone of our society, and especially in New York State. And uh, we had to make sure with uh, uh, our SBA funding that we got substantial funds to them. We had $250 billion in the first round and another uh, $350 billion in the second round. Uh, and that's going out to all the small businesses, mom and pops, trying to keep them afloat through this terrible time. Uh, the hospitals have received a total of $175 billion in aid. That were not for that aid, they would absolutely have lost several hospitals to bankruptcy in our district alone. And uh, we've done that. We've got money in the front lines for fighting uh, the COVID crisis, the testing, and uh, everything else in treatment. But they also had a lot of increase in community development block funding and a lot of other grant programs and helping out, uh, you know, uh, shelters and, uh, you know, women's shelters and uh, uh, drug counseling and all, all those kinds of things that are uh, that tend to be on, go on a rise when we have a, a, an epidemic. So it's been as far-reaching as it possibly can be. I don't think we're done, and I'm happy to talk about that. But there's a lot of specifics I can talk about if you want uh, with respect to what we've done so far. Yeah, sure. Why don't we expand on it so uh, people, people can get a sense of uh, how, how this uh, how this benefits Central New York. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I talked to you generally about uh, about the big money that has come out, but now uh, I want to talk about some uh, stuff here. Uh, uh, we, we led the effort to I, I was leading the effort to ensure state and local governments get the relief they need, and I heard from a lot of local leaders that, that they need aid, especially from the counties who cover many essential services for towns and villages like police and firefighting and all that. Uh, taking two major actions on that so far. One is I led a bipartisan letter and introduced legislation urging Congress to provide unfunded mandate relief for state and federal government or state and local governments, making uh, ma making the local governments in particular eligible for emergency paid tax leave credits, uh, which we were successful in doing. And we led a bipartisan effort asking congressional leaders to provide direct aid for county governments in the next relief package, which is a priority for our local government. I don't want to suggest give a check to the state and have the state decide where it goes, because oftentimes upstate New York gets screwed on that, and I don't want that to happen. So I want to make sure it gets to, to directly to the local counties, because they handle the bulk of uh, the COVID response efforts, and they need to be had, uh, helped in that regard. Um, and I'm using my role in the White House Task Force. I've been appointed to that. Uh, to reopen the government, to uh, advocate for local funding. That's a big thing I'm um, advocating for, and uh, in particular advocating for COPS grants, uh, increase for, to pay for police and firefighters and first responders and healthcare workers, and pay a, a chunk of their salaries for the next year to take a lot of heat off the local governments and make sure that those essential services remain because you're going to need them now more than ever. In the lat latest round alone, we've got $60 million dollars in funding for hospitals and airports and public housing groups, which is a lot. That's just the last bill. Uh, we got, uh, I, I advocated for a fix for seasonal employees because under the SBA program, the seasonal employees um, had, had a strange calculation that they had to do because their employees don't start until the springtime. 
and then they're, then they're full-time through the summer. So they weren't going to get much relief based on the calculations that existed. So we got the SBA to, to change that calculation, which helped places like marinas and golf courses and places like that get, get some funding. Um, I, I joined forces with Morelli and Brindisi, my colleagues to left and right from the Democratic side of the House, uh, sending a letter urging Congress to provide resources to respond to the high water levels. Um, and hopefully they'll respond with that. I've worked with FEMA as well to get them to change the definition of disaster in the, in the formulation so that if something happens again in Lake Ontario, like it's highly likely to do, we won't get screwed out of funding again. We, we'll, we'll get funding from FEMA. Um, uh, I, I, I worked with Representative Napolitano, a Democrat from California, to send a letter to the Treasury and the VA and Social Security urging those agencies to share the necessary data so that recipients of S, uh, Social Security and uh, VA benefits could automatically get their $1,200 checks instead of having to uh, affirmatively, uh, affirmatively ask them. I also joined with uh, Representative Delgado in leading a bipartisan letter uh, asking the IRS to restore customer service operations uh, and ensure that the payments are getting, getting uh, more efficiently distributed because they're, they're really, really slow in doing that and uh, supporting local substance abuse treatment groups. I joined with Representative Custer, a Democrat, uh, to uh, get more money to for uh, substance abuse counseling and treatment. I think it's very, very important. Uh, done a lot of work to strengthen the election systems amid the pandemic. I joined with Representative Rice, a Democrat from downstate, to send letters to the New York State Board of Education and the Election Assistance Commission requesting that they take steps to pre pre prevent against and protect against interference and disinformation campaigns, uh, especially given uh, how we're changing the way we're going to do campaigns. So that's just a smattering of what's going on. we got a lot going on, and uh, um, it's been a, a bit busy, crazy time, but uh, uh, I'm proud to be able to get all these things done for Central New York. Uh, I, I did want to ask about your role on the, the task force looking at, uh, you know, reopening uh, uh, obviously businesses, the, the economy as a whole. And uh, I know that uh, many of the many states uh, implemented these uh, stay at home policies and and closed non-essential businesses. But uh, I guess from from your standpoint on that task force, uh, I know some states have already started to reopen. How, how has that process been going from your perspective? And, and do you think that uh, these states that are getting started are doing it in the right way? Um, I don't know all the details of those states, but I know that's been a priority of me on the task force. Uh, and the first priority and the highest priority is that we must continue to be uh, um, put the health and safety of our communities at the forefront. And yes, we need to balance that with the need to get businesses open and the economy running again, but it's absolutely essential that at the forefront of this has got to have to be um, the um, uh, the health and safety of our communities. So we need to listen to the experts. But, you know, part of the job of that task force is to find that sweet spot between the two. And, uh, you know, we have issued uh, three phases for reopening, and we're leaving the details up to each state. And within each state, uh, where when to reopen based on regional uh, differences. Like Syracuse is going to start loosening their restraints quicker than New York City, for example, and they should. But um, uh, we, we do think that at the centerpiece, and I think at the centerpiece of it is we need to have ubiquitous testing. Um, uh, and we need to have contact tracing capabilities and everything. We're really going to get things open and get it aggressive. If you have all that, I think we're going to be okay, but we need to make sure we have all that and find that proper balance between the economic hardship, which is killing us, and the, uh, the uh, uh, figuratively, and, the, and the, um, the, the virus, which is literally killing people. So we have to find the, the right balance between the two, and that's what the whole goal is of the task force. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that's challenging because just given what we know, obviously this uh, this virus has killed tens of thousands of Americans already, but then you look at the economic toll as well. Uh, obviously, there's millions of people unemployed. So, uh, you know, find, find that, that sweet spot you talked about. Uh, I'm sure that's that's challenging just given what we know about the, the different impacts of this. Yeah, no, no question about it. No question. Finding that balance is, is going to be very difficult, but we got to do it. Uh, did want to ask too about uh, you know your 
Uh, obviously, uh, as a member of Congress, uh, you're, 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 you know, it, it sounds like you're still busy, but usually you're a busy guy in the sense of, you know, going to meetings and uh, obviously voting uh, on the House floor, attending committee hearings. Uh, how has this changed uh, your your day to day work as a as a member of Congress? I guess what types of things you've been you've been doing to stay uh, engaged uh, dur- during this pandemic? I mean, I tell you what, uh, we it's gone from. Uh, having traveling be part of the part of the issue, and and running from meeting to meeting being part of the issue, to having your schedule packed from morning till night, to having continuing to have my schedule packed from morning to night, but I'm doing it by telephone and doing it by video conferencing. So, if anything, we've we, we've uh, it's increased the amount of uh, contact with my constituents and with my colleagues. I, I can't tell you how many meetings a day I have. I if you saw one of my calendars, you'd be amazed how much we get done in a day, but. Uh, we're going from morning till night and uh, talking to constituents, and I dare say we're probably reaching a lot more constituents because we're constantly talking to them uh, and without the interruption of the uh, travel and all that um, to find out what's going on, what's in their head, what are they experiencing. I talk, you know, between the small businesses, the healthcare community, uh, the people on the front lines, like the county executives and the and the uh, the mayors of cities and all that stuff. It's been. Um, amazing how much uh, contact I've had with people. Now, we do need to do the committee work. Uh, thankfully, the, the legislation so far that we've had in this crisis has been extremely bipartisan in nature and very non-controversial. So there hasn't had to be a lot of floor time to deal with it. But uh, we've been very busy, to say the least. And uh, I'm very proud of what we've been able to get done for the families of Central New York. But uh, there's an awful lot of work involved, to say the least. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Do you think that this will lead to any discussion? I know in in New York, uh, you know, there there's been conversations about remote voting and uh, you know how you would facilitate that. But uh, has there been any conversation about that for uh, you know Congress and and of course here in the House of Representatives? So uh, you know, has there been any talk about that? And and you know, just curious about your opinion about doing that. If not now, then you know, is that something that needs to be available on an emergency basis uh, for for the future? First and foremost, uh, I, I will tell you that I think that it should be very, very, very rare exception where we're not voting in person. I think when you go down a slippery slope, it's dangerous when you're not uh, there and you're just voting remotely. Um, I think there, there's there's nothing to substitute being on the floor and mixing it up with your colleagues and talking to them and discussing things and trading things back and forth. And when you're not doing that... Uh, uh, on the day-to-day nuts and bolts of the government, I think that's that's not a good idea. And that's why, even during the Civil War, when uh, the front was 30 miles away from Washington, they were meeting, and in and, and, uh, and all kinds of all ki- all kinds of crises uh, in this country, they the Congress still met when they had the big plague in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, they still met, and um, I'm not saying to ignore the healthcare concerns, but uh, we should be there when we can. But be that as may. We should have, in, in times of serious calamity and serious crisis, the, the ability to conduct business in a modern fashion on a very limited basis. What exactly that looks like, um, I don't know. But one thing's for sure, everyone supports the House Rules Committee and the House Admin Committee, the leadership on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, getting together and hashing out what that looks like and then issuing us recommendations in a bipartisan manner. So I think something's going to come, come soon by way of recommendations, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Now, I'm all for uh, being creative, but I want to make sure that two things happen. One is it's bipartisan, and two, that it's as secure as it can be. Um, the amount of cyber attacks going on in this country are is uh, is unbelievable, and the ability, we have to make sure that whatever we do, that the ability of the bad guys to hack into it and change what we're doing is uh, minimized, and uh, that's why we can't go at it too fast. we got to be careful how we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I get to my last question, uh, a follow-up on that, uh, just on the cybersecurity point, I know you know, that's been something that's been raised as a concern with more people working from home that uh, it's a, uh, you know, it could be a field day for, for hackers and, and bad actors that, uh, you know, are targeting different companies or what have you. Uh, has that been, uh, do you think that this will help raise the, the need to address cybersecurity in a bigger way that uh, you have these people working remotely and uh, there's certainly vulnerabilities that come with that? No, there's no question about that. There's no question that the cyber issue is is 
is very prominent in this, uh, coupled with, of course, the, uh, um, the the broadband, rural broadband issue in particular, and, and broadband general. Now, the entire country needs to be on the internet, and uh, when you have thirty five percent of the country, so maybe forty percent, not having it available to them, you can't do telehealth as as effectively, and you can't teach kids if they're out of, if they're out of school because of a pandemic or a crisis of some sort. So. Um, it's absolutely, rural broadband is very important and going forward. I think that's going to be something about bipartisan fix we're looking at. But as far as the cyber goes, um, we, we, it is a very, very big issue. And I've told you before, Robert, I think many times that I think this is our next 9-11 if we don't watch it from a terrorist attack standpoint. So we really, really have to be paying attention to it. And uh, I don't want to get into weeds too much, but uh, something came out recently called the Cyber Solarium Report. And it was a long blue ribbon uh, commission uh, looking at cybersecurity needs on both the defense side from an offensive and defensive capabilities, but also the homeland security side. And uh, a lot of uh, reports and recommendations have been issued. I'm working hard on that with my cybersecurity subcommittee. And uh, it's going to be at the forefront of a lot of legislation this summer. I'm quite, quite positive about that. Uh, and and I wanted to, I wanted to close with uh, I, I know that you proposed a, a bill along with uh, I believe Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy uh, looking at creating a 9/11 style commission that would uh, commence in 2021 but take a look at uh, the the coronavirus response and uh, you know make some recommendations but uh, are there any early lessons uh, that that you take away from from this experience so far that uh, that you think might need to be explored down the road for you know improving the response or you know making some changes to to what we did, whether it's at the federal level or, or the lower levels of government? Oh, yeah, no question. There's some things that jump out at me uh, that I can talk about. Then I'm going to finish talking by talking about that bill with Representative Murphy because it's really important. It's central to what we're talking about. Um, clearly, uh, um, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, um, uh, our, our, our national stockpiles were dismally low. Um, our, our, uh, and we can't let that happen again. Um, our, our personal protective equipment, uh, it, it was, we should be relying on foreign uh, actors to, you know, fly in uh, plane loads a day and then try and divvy them up as best we can to people. We need to have that production done here, and it needs to be federally sponsored production, and we need to stockpile this thing to a fairly well to make sure we never have this sort of problem again to start with. That's number one. Number two is I think it's shown that our uh, pharmaceutical productions and, and what have you are, uh, are uh, a lot of it's overseas, and that can't be overseas anymore. Um, we've got to bring that back. I'll give you an example. Uh, Bristol Myers used to produce 60 to 70 percent of this nation's penicillin, and now this nation produces pretty much zero penicillin, and the comp- at least all the components are produced overseas, if not all the, the drugs themselves. And we don't have any penicillin being produced in Syracuse anymore. We have the capabilities of doing it. We need to get that back, pharmaceutical production. Uh, critical product, critical things you might have to rely on in a crisis. We can't rely on foreign uh, actors for that. We've got to do that here. Uh, absolutely. Another thing is I, I think that telehealth, like I talked about, is coming of age. I led a bipartisan effort with Congresswoman Napolitano asking Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services to expand their coverage to ensure Central New York seniors and everybody across the country uh, gets ability uh, has has access to quality mental health care over the phone. That's just one example of the telehealth. And today, I'm proud to announce that they actually approved will be requested. So that was pretty cool. But telehealth is coming of age in, in this crisis, and we need to make sure that doesn't go go back to the way it was. It's going to if we do telehealth and do it in a big way. Along with the rural broadband expansion, we are going to have a lot more people getting treated in their homes, and we're going to reach a lot more people. And it's going to make doctors far more efficient, and they won't be wasting their time with routine exams that they can do uh, remotely. Uh, and when they see people in their offices, they're going to see people that really need to see them, and the doctors can spend more time with them. So that's really going to be important. So those are just some of them. But, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot more um, uh, that we need to discuss and examine. And after 9-11... Uh, we formed a commission that was bipartisan with really great people on the commission uh, to um, look at what we did okay, what didn't we do okay, what warning signs didn't we pay attention to, what should we have done better with. And um, they, they issued a report. It led to sweeping changes and how uh, the intelligence communities exchanged information amongst each other, how we dealt with the outside intelligence, uh, how we looked at 
foreign actors as they were acting in their foreign countries, not before they got here, like Afghanistan and what have you. And um, we have formulated task forces all over the country and led to a much safer country from a terrorism standpoint. We need to do the same type of commission for uh, this COVID crisis. And uh, we need to do it um, uh, with the same type of bipartisan effort. So Stephanie Murphy is the head of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. I'm head of the moderate wing of the Republican Party. And it's natural for us two to be the lead on this. And uh, it does, uh, it does uh, mirror uh, very significantly what the 9-11 Commission did. And um, I think it's going to be really important. And it's going to be very important we do it after this is over, not during it. Because it's not a gotcha, and it can't be a gotcha, it can't be a finger-pointing, it's got to be just listen, a sober post-hoc analysis saying what happened, and what can we do better, and what can we do okay, and moving forward. Things like everything I mentioned, uh, including uh, but things I didn't mention, like, is World, World Health Organization effective enough to do what uh, they should be doing? And um, are we... Uh, do we have the proper uh, priority on developing vaccines? Does quantum computing make a difference in helping us develop vaccines infinitely quicker and respond more quickly? All those things need to be considered, and um, uh, patterns and practices need to be considered so that next time something like this happens, which there likely will be next time, uh, that we're ready for it. That was Congressman John Katko. Thanks again to the congressman for joining me on the podcast uh, usually I do Facebook Live videos with him, uh, live interviews where I take questions from readers and have a mix of my own. So he's not a frequent guest on the podcast because we do these other things, uh, but uh, appreciate him joining me on the podcast to give his perspective on the pandemic and, and how it's changed you know, his day-to-day activities. And as you heard, uh, certainly a little bit different uh, uh, schedule that he, well, not so much a schedule, but uh, at least in terms of environment uh, uh, than he's used to. Uh, so with that, I'll, I'll wrap it up for this edition of the Eye on New York podcast. I will be back Thursday. I have a couple of guests in mind. Uh, don't want to say anything uh, you know, premature uh, because anything can happen with schedules these days. Uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of candidates holding... Uh, virtual events and you know schedules are moving around because they have different meetings and things and uh, you know zoom is getting a lot of uh, uh, traffic these days uh, because of that but um, uh, not sure who I might have for Thursday uh, but the goal is to have someone uh, lined up for that issue uh, that episode so uh, I will have that uh, dropping early Thursday morning and then as I said uh, I do have furlough days next week on Tuesday and Thursday, but there will still be podcasts. Uh, that will be the one thing uh, that post uh, for, for me anyway, uh, each of those two days. I may have other stuff that I work on in advance, but um, uh, just wanted to let you know that the, the podcast will continue. Uh, so with that, I'll wrap it up uh, for this edition of the Eye on New York podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.